Let's pray. Father, we come to your word today with expectation. We desire to hear from you. We come to hear what you have to say to us, what you have said through the ages. We want to hear so that we can know what your will is as well as how to live our lives. We want to know what a great God you are, worthy of all praise, and we want to bow to you only. So now, Lord, speak to us through your word, as only you can, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm Pastor Steve, if I didn't mention that earlier. And um, we've been doing the, the flyover, the satellite image map of the Bible. And uh, you'll see it on the front cover of your bulletin. And kids, hey, kids who are in here, I hope that you can learn to draw this, and adults as well. Learn to draw this on your own and what it means. Figure out what it means. So you can try to copy that. If you did not get the uh, outline that goes with that, the first Sunday, or you didn't bring, well, no, if you didn't get it, and let's start with the people who didn't get it. Could the ushers pass that out to the people who are, who are new this time? Um, if you have it at home in the drawer, then, you know, you can go back and find it. But uh, especially for those who didn't get it before. And we're going we're gonna to continue another Sunday on this. So, yeah, Pastor Andrew's been skipping out. You better give him one. He's been off on vacation. Isn't it nice to have Andrew and Sarah back? Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we've been looking at the big picture, the map of the, the whole of Scripture and trying to see how it fits together. Because my, um, my belief is that all of the Bible fits together. And sometimes when we don't um, put it all together, we don't know what those random stories are, how they go together. And sometimes we think, well, you know, God did... St- that there, and then he's changed his mind and did something totally different in the New Testament or whatever. We're trying to see how it all fits together by doing this overview. So I'm going to fly through the pieces we've already covered, talking about justice and mission in the biblical story, that relationships as God created them are just and right and blessed. So if you're looking at your chart there, when, it's, when it uh, has just the arrows, those are just and right relationships. The way, so God created it just and right. In the new creation at the end, it's also going to be just and right. And, and caring for creation is an important thing still as we move toward the new creation. Work is an important thing as we, as we continue. And, but rebellion against God led to unjust relationships, and those relationships infected the family, and they infected society, and they infected even relationships between societies, different ethnic groups, and different nations. And so God had a plan for how he was going to change that. And his plan was to select Abraham and build from him a great, just, holy nation and kingdom. If you look at the beginning of Matthew, you'll see a genealogy, and it's divided into three parts, 14 generations. He selects 14 generations from Abraham to David, David to the exile, the exile to Jesus. And his point is that those are big sections and uh, that it's all connected to what's gone before. So we are... Um, that's, those are the sections we're using to show, because that's what Matthew used, to show how it was connected, what was happening was the fulfillment of all that had been promised first to Abraham. And so God promised to bless Abraham as a nation and then bless all ethnic groups, all families on earth, all nations, um, through Abraham. We talked about what a nation needs. It needs a God, a people, and Exodus 19, 3 to 6, they become God's people. And this is the things that are happening as we go through the, the Bible. We see them get a God. They see the people from, from Abraham's finally getting a child to all these millions becoming his people at Exodus 19. They need a just culture. And we're going to talk later this fall about what that just culture is, what God's vision for his people is. What is God's way that he wants them to live? And why that matters. The law at Mount Sinai we're going to talk about. And then he gives them the land in Joshua. And they, they also need people to lead this people. And 
Originally, it was Judges, Moses, Joshua, and then the Judges. And then it becomes the kings. And God adapts to that system of leadership to give justice, especially between people. And then the, the temple was the place where God's name was. And that was especially relationship with God, just relationship with God. The king was especially caring for just relationship between people. And they had just relationship with the land or in economic relations as well. So that just people in that just shape was supposed to be a witness to all the nations around them. So the goal was to be this people, but also the means to be a witness was to be that kind of people, a different kind of people among the nations around them. And they were, we talked about the Queen of Sheba, some other examples of how people were called and came into being that people. But then they, they built a temple. It was great. People were coming, were attracted. There was a missional purpose for everyone to see who these people were and who they were worshiping. But then they didn't do it well. So God disciplined his kingdom because of their injustice, of especially worshiping idols and oppressing the poor. And we looked at that and those unjust relationships, how God divided the kingdom for those sins at the time of Solomon. And then he, at, throughout this time, God's prophets were speaking his word to the people in their situation. We talked about how the prophets were in three different, the writing prophets especially, were in three different crises that they spoke into. Assyria capturing Israel, Babylon capturing Judah, and coming back to the land. All of those, especially the first two, were about God disciplining his people for their injustice. Coming back to the land, we're going to look at now. But So Assyria was a judgment. God took Israel away. Then Babylon, and you can see the names of the prophets there, where Judah was judged by Babylon, carrying them into captivity in 586 B.C. And so here we have Babylon off in, uh, in the... Uh, Babylon, they were captured, they were taken away. Although the poor, many of the poor were left in the land, the leaders were all taken off. And it says the land had its Sabbath rest, where they hadn't cared for the land, the land got to lay fallow. And so even the land was cared for by this discipline. So you see that funny man there laying sideways? That's, that's kind of a timeline for us because do you remember Daniel had a vision of a big statue with a gold head and then silver and iron. And, and you remember that statue? So that statue was about the great kingdoms of his day. Babylon at the time was the gold head. And then Persia followed them. And then the Greek empire followed it, Alexander the Great. And then followed by that was the Roman Empire. And Jesus was born in the time of the Roman Empire. So we're, we're using that statue as the... Uh, as the timeline, because those were the great kingdoms of the day. And then remember, the, the, the picture was that a rock not carried by people was, came out and ran and crushed that statue to pieces. All of those great kingdoms of the earth were crushed by the kingdom of God, which came. Are we together? It makes sense of why there's that funny guy up there. So you'll see Jesus is born under the boot of Rome when we get there. Okay? So I want to bring us now to where we are. We talked about God's discipline of his people and how they had done things. I've been, um, so we talked about how, what a discouraging and difficult, uh, what a crazy thing it was for the temple to be destroyed and for things to fall apart. Um, and sometimes I think we can feel discouraged in trying to figure out what is God doing in our day. So I, I think some of you recognize this church. It's about two or three blocks over here on Summit. And going by that church and seeing that big for sale sign somehow was a symbol to me of, you know, there's, things are not necessarily right. So they didn't tear down that temple, but uh, they sold it for an art house. And... Uh, so what's God doing in the, in the paper? Um, Star Tribune, they've been running a series, uh, Test of Faith, The Unchurching of America. And they talked about this church, those empty pews, and how uh, the church just dwindled. It was there for 100 years, beautiful congregation, but the congregation dwindled to where they couldn't pay to keep the heat going. So they, uh, so they sold it. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, now I'm biking from a different direction by the uh, Lutheran school, which says 130 years of service. Thanks. It was great. Um, they've Central Lutheran School is closed. And uh, a lot of the we have all these colleges around here, which were originally church schools. And somehow you can find a remnant of that. There's usually a chapel someplace. When we did our tour of McAllister College, they apologized for the chapel. They said, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, you know, there's not a lot of religious people here, but there is that cross up there. No, don't worry about it. Um, that's kind of the attitude sometimes in these formerly or, you know, somewhat Christian schools. Um, and the church has been a blessing, but it seems like in many ways the church is fading in influence. So this, this last Sunday um, talked about fewer ministers, heavier burdens talked about how there's um, seminaries in, in Minnesota have been declining by about 40% as far as full-time students at least, half as far as uh, in, nationwide. For about 10 years, they, they slid the, the uh, three-quarters of the Catholic priests in Minnesota are retired or disabled, um, 60% nationwide. And, uh, so, and, and, the, and the, the picture on the front is a Lutheran pastor who's running around She's a full-time, she's a full-time, uh, she's got full-time work. She's got a part-time job at another store, and then she does four, four churches in the meantime. Or, uh, and she's not even ordained yet. So um, things are shifting, and sometimes we can feel that change and the, and the change in how the church is looked at or, or the influence of the church is looked at. You know, we're, we're uh, experiencing the state fair next door. Um, I remember there used to be a chapel there someplace, Right? Is it still there? Is it used? Okay. I thought they had closed it the last time. But that's not the main impression you get when you go into the state fair. It's not like a, a big church that this is what it's about, right? It's about consumers. You get to go as a consumer, maybe a voter, maybe some other things. But um, it's hard to know exactly how you relate to the state fair as a Christian, right? That's a bad thing. Um, we're meant to be entertained, consumed, and voted, I guess, whatever, but uh, <laughs> some, uh, or consume things. I guess that's what the state fair is about. But um, anyway, what is happening in the midst of all this going on? Now, the children of Israel really wondered that because they said, what, what's happening? And then God did two things. God bring, brought a remnant back from Babylon, and he spread out the rest of the nation in order to prepare for his coming kingdom and Messiah. So you can see the return there of the remnant back to, to the uh, land of Israel in a, a small remnant. And the temple is rebuilt again to fulfill its mission purpose. And the people are reconstituted and struggle to follow the law. Remember Ezra reminding people, remember what the law said? This is what we're supposed to do. Ezra's reading from the law and they're all like, wow, what? We didn't know they're, they're struggling with that. They're learning not to be idolatrous. They're trying to maintain justice. Remember Nehemiah coming and talking about uh, usury and, and, te- and inflicting the poor with high interest. And, um, and also holiness. Remember Nehemiah's attack on intermarriage, that they should be a separate people. But now they're kind of a, a fledgling little people trying to put up a wall, trying to do some things. In the midst of this, and we have um, other prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, are talking to this people, this remnant who have come back. And if I can use an analogy that works better in Africa um, and some other cultures maybe, this is the right hand of God. In Africa, the right hand is, is your public hand. This is the hand that you shake hands with. This is the hand you do things. And then your left hand is kind of more secret hand. You don't do a lot of stuff with your left hand that's out in public. So... With God's right hand, he brings the remnant back. It's out, he's, he plants them in the land. They establish this people again. With his left hand, he's doing something kind of hidden out among the peoples that we don't hear a lot about. Now, we do hear in Esther and Nehemiah, at Esther and Daniel, some of what goes on there. Um, and Esther and Daniel show that God is in control even in the midst of this. Think about it. Daniel is carted off as a captive to the great power. He's enslaved and he's told, this is what you're going to study. This is what you're going to do. This is going to be your job. 
and this is going to be your name. You're going to be named after our gods, and you're going to be studying our, our literature and our way of doing things. And yet he does something there that's amazing. Now, Esther doesn't have it much better. She gets picked up to be, I don't know, what kind of a husband he would be. Would that be somebody you would choose? Just But she didn't have a whole lot of choice um, to be chosen to be the husband, the wife of the king. Um, but what's interesting in this picture is that very picture, for example, of the, the statue, These, this great proud statue that is decimated, crushed by the kingdom of God. This Nebuchadnezzar is given a vision that God's going to judge him, and he ends up eating grass like a cow for a while until he gets back and says, God is the one who knows it all. God is the one who's in charge. And these things keep showing up that even in the midst of this, when you feel like this, this minority, crushed, oppressed kind of people, and most people, most, a lot of Christians in the world have that feeling a lot more than we do, um, God is still in charge. God is still using them. We talked about migration and God moving people around. And you know, sometimes God brings people to the people of Israel. Sometimes he sends them out voluntarily. You know, Jonah was sent voluntarily, although he didn't volunteer exactly. Um, but Daniel was an, a drafted missionary, let's say. <laughs> he was grabbed and hauled someplace, and God used that. And some of you have, have migrated, moved around. Some of you have come here of your own volition. Some people just ran away because the, your country was falling apart. You had various reasons for being here, but God is part of all this moving people around. He is at work when we sometimes pray for them and send them out and when, when you sometimes run away in the dark. God can still be at work in all of that. Um, and just a couple of comments. Um, I'd, I almost preached the whole sermon on this, but uh, someday we'll get there. I want you to think about the engagement in the public square. That Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah and these people are not, and actually most of the people mentioned in Scripture are not actually pastors, missionaries. We, you know, you get the impression because, well, mostly because we talk and we're the ones, we're pastors, so we think about things that way, right? That that's what's really happening. But you don't come to church to support the pastor. You come to church so we can support you to do the mission that God has given you. Our job is to just to support you, to teach you, to help you in the places where you are. Now, Nehemiah, I I mean, well, let's take Daniel. Daniel got that, all of them. We could take any of them, but they accepted the reality, the ambiguity of the situation that they were in. When you go to work, when you go to school, wherever you, in your family even, it may be kind of tricky. And, you know, Daniel had some tricky things to try to figure out. And he learned how to do things the Babylonian way, how to speak Babylonian way, how to do administration the Babylonian way. And he did it well. Nobody could accuse him of not being consistent and the best worker at his job. And yet that must have been kind of hard. Do you remember when Jeremiah sent a letter to the captives? Think about this. They had been captured, their temple destroyed, hauled off to this place, and they're like, God's going to deliver us. God's going to deliver us. He's going to bring us back. And Jeremiah says, settle down. Build houses, plant gardens, plant trees. Give your kids, because you're going to be there a while. And I want you to seek the shalom of the city where you are. And they're like, what? The shalom of Babylon? No, we want war for Babylon. We want them to be destroyed. He said, no. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city where God has put you. And that, you know, when we were in Kenya, that was a message our pastor gave us. We got to seek the peace and prosperity of Kenya. And when we were in Tanzania, and some of you are, you know, immigrants here, seek the peace and prosperity of this pagan place. Okay? Um, All of us have an opportunity to seek the welfare of the city where we're put. And Daniel, maybe he read that letter or heard it because he did that. He plugged in. He really served those 
administrative. Now, it was complicated. It was difficult. It was not easy. He, and, you know, at the same time, he preserved his integrity. And God, for most of us, that's what God wants us. He wants us to earn a living by our work. He wants us to be contributors. He wants us to engage in the political situation and the an economic situation and the wherever you're working, wherever you're living, in your neighborhood. He wants you to engage and seek the peace of the city. There was also confrontation. God, they had to be different. There were places, as much as Daniel accommodated figures, there were places where he said, can't do that. And there were times that he had to stand up, be different, resist idolatry. There's a lot of idolatry in our society. Idolatry of success, consuming things, of, of politics, of you name it. Well, I won't go through the list. Beauty and, and uh, health and, and uh, just so many things being popular. The celebrity idolatry. And we are so easily infected with it that it's hard to be different. We don't even know what the assumptions are that we have, we have just uh, blended in with because of the input that we get. And if you're going to resist, then there's also going to be the suffering part. You're going to get thrown in the lion's den once in a while or in the fiery furnace. And God may or may not rescue you out of it. Now, you may feel like I'm doing really well at work, or you may feel like you've been thrown to the lion's den. <laughs> but there's suffering that goes on. And keep in mind that God is also suffering. He's suffering watching his people do all this stuff, turn against him, go off. And we're going to see that he, he suffers even more and sends Jesus to suffer for us. So we're participating in the suffering of mission, of God's mission. God's mission includes suffering. I know you've heard things that say if you just believe and if you just testify, if you just declare, then you won't have to suffer. That's not what the Bible says. You know, you can, you can find a few verses if you ignore the, the other half of it. But um, that's not what... But we're supposed to be salt and light in our society. You know, salt was used mostly... That's what Jesus said, right? That's what Daniel was. It's really nice when you're in a... When you're in the village in Tanzania and there's, you're inside and the sun is down and there's no moon, it's really dark. It's really nice when somebody turns on a kerosene lamp. <laughs> oh, we can see something. We're not going to stumble over something. We know what's going on. Most of us are so used to lights all over, even outside, that we, we don't realize how important it is to have a light. But the world is a dangerous, dark place without some light. And would you say it's better to, not to curse the darkness, but to light a candle, right? We are the light of the world. So if the place is dark, don't blame the world. Of course it's dark. Ask where the light is. Ask if we're shining or we're just blending in. You know, the world is dead in their sins, like a dead animal. And meat is going to rot if you leave it there, right? Unless you salt it. That was the main purpose for salt in Jesus' day. Salt it, preserve it. So if the meat is starting to smell in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your city, of course, ask where the salt is. And if we, as God's people, still have a different flavor, if we taste the same. You follow me? Okay. So... In this time, God works. And then for 400 years, we don't have any books that are written in Scripture. But there are some amazing things that are happening in the hidden way with God. This, the Bible gets translated, the Old Testament gets translated into Greek and spreads all over the former Greek empire. So that Paul can say, the word of God has been shared in all the cities. The, the Septuagint. There's a, a Maccabean Revolt, and the children of Israel have independence for a little bit. And that changes the expectations of what it's going to be like to bring the kingdom of God. 
synagogues go all over the place and people learn to do following Jesus or following Yahweh without a temple in the diaspora. All those things feed into what happens as God is preparing to send Jesus. So God sends his Messiah, Jesus. Now this is our, our big act here, right? God sends his Messiah, Jesus, to keep the promise to Abraham and his descendants. The goal of this promise is beginning a just kingdom of God. Which was the goal before, right? The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus accomplishes this. You know, sometimes you ever wonder, you ever ask yourself, why Israel? Why waste thousands of years? For that matter, why did Jesus have to live? What was the point of Jesus' life? Why didn't he just come and die and get resurrected? Isn't that the whole point to, to put us back in right relationship with God? In fact, you know, if Adam fell on Monday, why didn't God send uh, Jesus on Friday and then resurrect him on Sunday? We'd be done with all that stuff. God had a different plan. His plan is not just about individual salvation for us because the corruption of rebellion and injustice is not just individual. It's also in society. It's also between ethnic groups and societies. There has to be an answer that's big enough for everything that's happened, even in creation. So we looked at this last time. The time promised by God has come at last. Jesus announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. It's time to repent, to turn back and believe the good news. This is Jesus' core message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, my contention is that you can't understand that message if you didn't read the first three quarters of the book. What's the kingdom of God? Well, the first three quarters of the book, let's see, or is it more than that? tells you what the kingdom of God is. What this whole expectation is about. And another piece I want to share with you is this theme that runs through. I haven't highlighted it, but the theme of the justice bringer. We think about Moses and Joshua. We think about Abram even, but the, the judges and Samuel and the prophets and David and the good kings and how they were supposed to bring justice. The prophets and how they were bringing justice to God's people and to other nations as a result of that. So if you pick those apart, and we, we pick some of the themes from that, and then look at who, who Jesus was, let's look at some of the themes. So there's an agent with a position and a role. Let's think of Moses as an example, okay? He comes, he has a position and a role, enablement. He had a call. He was empowered. Sometimes it talks about the anointing of the Holy Spirit on people. The, he had faith. To, to do what was required and motivation. What was his motivation? The task was bringing justice, proclaiming justice, proclamation of what we're supposed to do. And, and Moses proclaimed justice. Pharaoh, let my people go. You will know. And also then he gets to the law and proclaims what that justice is supposed to be like. And then mighty acts of justice. Remember the plagues as well as the caring for God's people? That's all acts of justice. And, and then this just social shape which we're going to look at when you look at the law. How does God make a society that actually relates to each other in a just way and doing justice justly? So you, you can do justice, but not justly, right? You can do it in a way that, that uh, you know, the, the vigilante justice that comes in and says, we're going to straighten this out, and we're just going to kill anybody that's in the way. Um, so the justice bringer also... The recipients of that are often the poor and marginal. They're the majority of the ones who receive it because it's good news for them. The results, a formation of a new community of the people of God. Now, when Jesus comes, he's an Israelite. He's fulfilling what God wanted to do in Israel. But in his ministry, there's also a formation of a new community of people from the people. Now, also, project ahead here. If, this is what, if Jesus is picking up what those justice bringers were, He's also modeling what we're supposed to do, right? As individuals and together. The results, that new community is the end. That's the point. It's also the means. When we get to be the real people of God, people notice, hey, 
Those people are different. They do things different. They do things justly. They taste different as they relate to each other as well as, as individuals. And the response to the disciples or to that witness, rejection and even persecution, but reception by a few. So let's look at Jesus. Now I'm quoting Chester Wood, who was my uh, professor who taught me this stuff back in college and who I've stayed in touch with. But he's trying to summarize what Jesus did here. God sent Jesus in fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and David to be the supreme justice bringer. Jesus, the supreme justice bringer, depended upon God by faith and prayer. He was enabled by the Holy Spirit and motivated by love and compassion. He inaugurated the kingdom of God by mighty acts of justice and the proclamation of justice, especially to the poor, the outcasts, and the sinners. Let me, um, let me give you a few more details of that. Um, so, in Matthew, for example, Jesus is pictured as Moses. Matthew's divided into five parts, just like the Torah was. He starts with calling out a new people, the disciples. Come, follow me. He calls them. And then giving his justice, bringing law. He says, he sits down on the mountainside, the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to create the purpose that it was created for. And he explains more in depth how his interpretation of the law against misinterpretations and oppressive interpretations of the law. He also acts in bringing justice to the oppressed with mighty acts of power. He heals people. He frees people from demons. He talks against the teaching of the law that oppressed people. He also, you remember, the, you remember we talked about the front and back of God's hand of justice from Exodus? You remember this? So if he's going to free people from demons, he's got to what? Smack the demons. That's the retributive justice. If he's going to free those who are oppressed by the bad teaching of the Pharisees, he's got to teach against the Pharisees and, and the other leaders. He, he gives a word of discipline, declares judgment, even as he declares good news and declares forgiveness and, and heals people in giving justice. He brings that as a standard in his teaching. And there's this new people of God that he creates and explains how they're going to live in a different way. So, now, the combination of the mighty acts of justice and the proclamation of justice resulted in the formation of the new community of the people of God, the people of the kingdom of God, which was characterized by a just social shape. When we get to Acts, we'll see that the first eight chapters are about them figuring out how to live justly, how to fulfill the law, it says things like there were no poor among them. Direct quote from the law, if it's done right, is going to be this way. For the first eight chapters, they figure out how to be that kind of community. And then God sends them out to be a witness with that kind of a community. So all taken together, the mighty acts, the proclamation, the, and the formation, all of that resulted in the witness to the world. Some rejected this world, this witness. Others accepted it. You'll see in Jesus, there's people who reject him. In fact, in the end, most people reject him. But there's a minority that accept him. When the disciples come, we all think like, wow, if we just have miracles. The disciples do amazing miracles, and it results in persecution. And some accepting. Some get upset and persecute them. Some accept them. And... Uh, so finally, in his death and resurrection, Jesus modeled the pursuit of social justice even to death and laid the foundation for justification with God. In other words, righteousness, just relationship with God and victory over the devil. So this is the symbol that Jesus chose. Jesus said, I am here as a servant to wash your feet, to humble Myself and, and he went around serving and doing good, it says. 
But you know what? You'd think people would have liked that. And some people really did. The people who were oppressed really did. But the people who were in power really didn't. So they chose a different symbol for Jesus. They chose a cross for Jesus. So we have to ask, why did Jesus die? Well, he died to forgive our sins, to bring justification with God. Yes, but that's not why Pilate killed him. Pilate didn't say, you know, I'm thinking that you should bring justification with God and kill you. Did he? That's not why the Pharisees killed him and the Sanhedrin killed him. Why did he die? He died for bringing justice. The powers, the Sanhedrin, the demons, Rome, etc., were not happy about his freeing their subjects. They were not happy about his towel service. They chose to kill him because he said, I'm going to welcome the other nations, not just you Israelites, but other nations. He went right into their seat of power. Now, this was not just a religious symbol. This was also where their political power was, where their economic power was. And what did he do? He kicked over their... Try that at the state fair sometime. Go in and say, what are you guys doing selling stuff around here? Somebody will be upset with you. (laughs) Jesus went into their economic, political, social power center and said, this is my father's house. You've made it a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And the nations can't even see the temple because they're at the state fair. They can't get to the temple. And so, on the cross, Jesus brought justification with God, victory over the devil, and social justice. So, you'll see the the way I have the cross here. He brings justification with God. We know those verses, right? He died for our sins. He also, Ephesians 2 says, broke down the wall of hostility on the cross. The hostility between different peoples, he broke that down so that we could be one people. And Romans 8 even says he brought restoration with creation. Colossians says he's going to completely reconcile even creation back with God. So even the, even the land is reconciled. All of that happens at the cross. And victory over death in the resurrection. So, when we go to the nations, or welcome the nations, we can expect some opposition. When we serve, you'd think that would be a nice thing to do. People would say, good job. Once in a while, they will. Unless you touch their power, or their money, or anything else, then they might get upset with you, or with us. We're here to serve and and seek the shalom of our city. We also need to challenge idolatry and oppression. But God said, go, make disciples, baptize, teach them to obey. You know the teach them to obey everything I've commanded you part? That's important. It's not just about faith. It's also what happens out of that faith. And we're going to talk about That as we look at the law and how Jesus fulfilled the law. So, we have an opportunity to be this people of God. Now, I'm not going to go into the church and what the church did with it. I decided, you know what? Last time I only got 500 years done. I'm not going to get more than 500 years done today either. So, um, but basically, you have to remember that what the church did is what Jesus did, right? We're his people. We are given the task of being the justice bringers, the righteousness bringers. Now, those two terms in English have different meanings. But again, it's the same just relationship, righteous relationship with God, with other people, with other peoples, with creation. We are called to do what Jesus did. 
So the next step is God begins the church, the new people of God, by telling in words and action the good news about Jesus and his kingdom. The good news is spread from the Jews to the Gentiles and eventually to the whole world. That's next time. But we're supposed to do what Jesus did. We're supposed to be bringing this justice. And he's empowered us to do it. Remember that? Remember how he empowered the disciples to go and do what? Three things. Announce the kingdom, teach, and heal. And, well, maybe, maybe one of the, exercise demons and, and confront the powers. Maybe, I don't, maybe it's teaching powers and healing. But anyways, it's together. Someday we're going to preach something for those of you who do medical work and are part of healing stuff. But you have a place in the mission of God as an individual and as a church together. And the place is not just here in this building. Your place is out there. The salt really shouldn't stay in the salt shaker all the time. Um, it's nice to get together and remember the flavor, but it's more important to be out there where it stinks, right? And to be confronting the idolatry and the difficulties that, that are out there. Can we have the, um, the worship team come up? I hope you see this as an, an exciting opportunity. We get to participate in what Jesus brought. Now, Jesus said two things about the kingdom. He said, if I cast out demons by the hand of God, the finger of God, remember the, the hand of bringing justice? If I do that, then the kingdom of God is here. So Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. So he said, it's already here. I've brought it. And then he said, when you pray, pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No. Why do we pray for his kingdom to come if his kingdom's already here? Because those are both true. His kingdom is already here, already. We have healing in Miracle ways, in hospital ways, God heals us. And yet, we're not completely healed. We have victory over death, but we don't see it all now. The resurrection is yet ahead of us. We have victory over sin. We have victory over addictions and habits and difficult things. And yet, we still struggle with them. And, but we will have complete victory over sin, over everything that holds us back. So the kingdom has come in Jesus and we get to be part of bringing justice, bringing the kingdom and looking for the day his kingdom comes. So are we together? Do you see that this is all one piece? This is all God's plan. His plan A. And he doesn't have a plan B. So sometimes we get confused. And we're, we're reading the Old Testament. We're like, we don't know where that fits. And we go, oh yeah, well that was, that was then. And God changed his mind and he brought Jesus. You know, that, God, that was all whatever that was. But Israel, they messed up. So God just said, forget that. Let me bring Jesus and start a church. Nope. God has plan A with Abraham. And he's sticking with it. We got grafted into that plan because of Jesus. And we're still part of bringing his justice, his righteousness among us and to our city, to our world. And people are watching us as well as listening to us. Right? When they watch us, when they listen to us, they say, those people are justice bringers. They do things justly. They relate to each other in an amazing way. It's fun to be around those people. But they, I don't quite get them. There's something different about them. Or do they say, 
Oh, him, yeah, he's a, he's a good old boy. Oh, I didn't even know he was a Christian. That's interesting. Whatever. Do we taste different? So let's pray that God will enable us to enter into his mission. Is that exciting to you? I mean, I'm excited that I'm born again, that I, my sins are forgiven, that I'm going to heaven. But I'm excited that there's more to it than that. I don't just have to sit around and twiddle my thumbs and try to pay my taxes until I get to go. Right? We are part of something amazing that God's been doing since Abraham. And we, together, are the hope of this world. This local church, the church in the world, we are God's plan A. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to be with us. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to bring the kingdom that looked like it was lost. And Lord, we, we know that sometimes in our world it, it, can, it can look confusing. It can look like the kingdom is losing. But we know that you are in charge. You're as in charge as you were with Daniel. You're as in charge as you, you are here. And we, we don't always see it all. We don't know what's going on. But we thank you that you are doing your work. And we ask you to do your work in us. And please, Lord, give us a big enough vision. Help us to not just be like everybody else. Not just be chasing the same idols as everyone else. Not just be fitting into systems that oppress people. But, and not just be living immoral lives. But being your people the way you desire for us to be. Lord, we can't do that. That's why you sent your son. That's why Jesus died to enable us. That's why his spirit was sent to empower us so that we can fulfill the call that you've given us. Lord, we confess our weakness, our sin. We thank you that your grace is enough. But we thank you that you're bringing your kingdom. And you're doing it through us. You're bringing your justice and your righteousness and you're doing it through us. We don't know why you picked that way, but you picked it. And you're sticking with it. And so we want to stick with you and be part of that. God, lift our eyes to the good news that we can be part of. Amen. We don't always know what God's doing. And sometimes it takes a little hindsight to see what God's doing. When uh, Muslims swept across the uh, early lands and swept across Asia and only Europe was left barely Christian, God did something amazing. And Europe became more Christian than the barbarians had ever been before. That's what the Romans called them. And then they sent people elsewhere in the world for, from about 1500 to 1950. And then that shifted in reverse. And people from the colonies started going back to Europe and America and other places. God's working in that. Mao Zedong came into China and kicked all the missionaries out. Everybody said, oh, no, it's all lost. And yet what happened under Mao Zedong, some people say he was the greatest evangelist of the 20th century because the church grew from 5 million to 100 million. While the church was declining in Europe, the church in Africa was booming. From five to eight percent, five to eight million to five hundred million. So don't just look on your street corner to know what God's doing. And God might be doing something you don't know that He's doing. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening in the Muslim world and terrorism and other stuff. And you know what? Some Muslims are saying, What? Is this really what this is about? And they're turning to Jesus. Isa. Who they know, but they're trying to know him better. God is doing stuff that we don't know. But we can be part of it. And we may not get to see exactly the end of it. There's been people who are part of this church who've carried it the next step and we've done things and, and we, we're living on in that 
that mission. There's things that this church has been part of that we don't even see. But God's at work. He's at work in your life, if you let him. He wants to be your king. King of your life, if you let him. The kingdom of God in your own life is a big choice we have. And then the kingdom of God to us together as we serve him. You may have something you want specific prayer for. You want to let Jesus be king of your life in a new way. You need God, Jesus' help in your work situation, in your family situation, in your neighborhood. Whatever this, we have an open altar here. There will be other people here willing to pray with you. We pray. I know you're going to go home and pray, I hope. But if we pray, you might want somebody to pray with you about that situation. So I'm going to invite you as, as we close the service. You're welcome to come up here. There will be people to pray with you about that situation at your work, that relationship, that thing that's struggling, you're struggling with in your life, or whatever it is. We can't do this. That's why we say, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here, as it is in heaven. Because we know He can. That's why He told us to pray it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, I'm going to give a benediction and release you, but if you want to pray some more about that together, you're welcome at the altar. There will be people here to pray with you. Go in the name of the Father who sent His Son to live and die to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And in the power of the Holy Spirit who fills and enables us, go into your mission field as salt and light to bring justice and bring the kingdom in His power. Amen. Thank you.